Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, when most people prepare for a negotiation, when most people prepare for a negotiation, they worry about how high to start bidding or what information to withhold or who is taking advantage of whom. And as a result, most people don't produce a great outcome that feels fair to all sides. The point of today is to say there is a better way, and we're going to talk about a radically different way to think about negotiation, one that emphasizes fairness to all and reframes the pie that we should be splitting. So my guest today is Barry Nailbuff. Barry is the Milton Steinbeck Professor at the Yale School of Management, where he has taught strategy and negotiation for 32 years. He's written seven books, and the latest that we're talking about today, Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. Now, Barry's the exception to the old adage that those who can do and those who can't teach, because Barry has also done. He co-founded Honest Tea with his former student, Seth Goldman. That company was sold to Coca-Cola in 2011. His next company, Kombucha, which makes a hard kombucha and was sold to AB InBev in 2016. And his newest companies are Real Made Foods and Just Iced Tea. So graduate of MIT, a Rhodes Scholar, a junior fellow at Harvard School of Fellows, and earned his Doxford, uh, doctorate at Oxford University. Barry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I try and make tongue twisters out of all of my things. Well, I seem to get twisted at the very beginning of the yeah. show, and then I get in this groove and we're all good to go. All right, Barry, my favorite starting question, why? Why do you care about how people split the pie? What is, what's so important about that to you? Yeah, I, I Out there, my big, hairy, audacious goal is to change the way people negotiate. And okay. the sad fact is that people, for the most part, negotiate terribly. They have this stereotype image of what they're supposed to do, whether it be bluster, lie, make ultimatums, start off with extreme numbers. Uh, and the end result is they uh, feel terrible and do terribly. Uh, what's ironic is that the uh, tools that we have to be successful in life, whether it be problem solving or empathy, are things that people throw out when they negotiate and try and become somebody who they aren't. And I want to show how you can negotiate using the tools that you have and not get taken advantage of. All right. I like that one. So change the way that people negotiate so that you don't feel terrible, you don't do terrible, and you use all of your human skills, your empathy skills, your emotional intelligence skills in the negotiation process, not necessarily for the purpose of taking advantage. All right. But I'm precluding where we're going. So why is it that people get so wound up about negotiation? Well, because... Uh they're going against somebody who they perceive as acting like a jerk and they think they have to be like a jerk in response. Uh, and they're not good at being a jerk. They don't like being a jerk. They don't like interacting with jerks. And the great irony is it could be two people who are actually smart, empathetic folks who end up taking on personas that 
they aren't. And so it ends up being ineffective for both sides. Right. I think the classic negotiation, especially in business, we think about things like trade union negotiations, which feel contentious on all sides. Yeah. We think about negotiating for a price on a good that you're trying to buy, like a car, I think, is in everybody's mind as an example or a house for that matter. Um, so does your framework apply equally to every form of a negotiation? Yes and no. Uh, yes, it applies to real all real negotiations, but there are a lot of things that aren't negotiations, even though we call them such. So when there's really a market price for something, there isn't a whole lot of negotiation to do. And so we do a dance, if you'd like, but uh, it's not really clear. If you go on the web and you go to TrueCar, uh, you go to Edmunds, you can find out what the actual market price of a car is. And therefore, if you're informed, there's not a lot of negotiation that needs to be done. Moreover, a lot of the new cars that are out there, uh, whether it be Polestar or Tesla, they have zero negotiation. They are a list price deal. And so, and same thing, by the way, for CarMax with used cars. In fact, that was the secret of their success was people don't like negotiating. And so why are we actually involved in, the, in this silly dance? I think the biggest problem, at least that I experience in negotiation, is that fear that I'm getting taken advantage of. Sure. People think that negotiation is like having your Miranda rights being read to you. Anything you say can and will be used <laughs> against you. So therefore, they clam up. They don't share information. But if you don't do that, your ability to solve problems and work together is uh, just about nil. And so no surprise the negotiation isn't going to go well. Okay. And what that leads me to do is suggest a different way of approaching negotiation from the start. Okay. People are way too quick to jump in and start talking about price. Instead, they should begin the negotiation with the framework. How is it that we're going to negotiate? And can we agree up front that what we're going to do is create a giant pie and split it evenly? And okay. if we can agree on that, then we've gotten rid of the contentious part. And now we can focus on the cooperative part of how do we make the pie bigger? All right. So give me an example of what you mean by negotiate how we're going to negotiate. You said create a big pie. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in practice? What is it that we can do to create value by coming together? The reason we're having this negotiation is that in theory, the two of us can do something that's better than what we can do if we act on our own. And what people are way too focused on is what I can get out of the negotiation versus what we can get out of negotiation. And what I should be trying to find is the solution which maximizes the value for the two of us together, knowing that we've agreed ahead of time that we're going to share any of the gains that are created. Okay, so, so give yeah, one give example, example, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you do. Um, so uh, my mom is living in Sarasota and she's renting a house. And her landlord sees the market go up, it's uh, work from home land, and says, I'm going to put this house uh, for sale in the market. I believe the market price for this house is 800000 But because you're renting it from me, I'm prepared to sell it to you for seven ninety. dollars Okay. All right. So we now have the beginning of a negotiation. The question is, what are they really going to negotiate over? My mom likes the house. She's prepared to pay market price. What is the pie the two of them create? Why should my mom be the buyer 
and the seller be the seller. Okay. And the, the answer is that if they do the deal, my mom avoids the cost of moving, of hiring a moving truck. The, he avoids the cost of putting in new carpets and fixing up the kitchen. And most importantly, they avoid the 5% real estate commission, which is around $40,000. Okay. And so my mom says, look, I'm prepared to pay you market price. I'm not going to try and take advantage of you and give something less than market price. I'm not prepared to pay above market price. And if we can agree that you'll sell me the house at market price, then uh, I'll call my moving costs and your carpet costs a wash, and we'll split the $40,000 savings 2020. Okay. And he writes back and says, Marsha, I don't think you understand. It's a hot market. That's why I should get 30000 and you should get ten. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I give her some help. And uh, she writes back, uh, look, if you sell the house to anybody else at 800000 you only get seven sixty. If my mom buys the equivalent house from anybody else, she has to pay eight hundred. And so the only way to get that gap between eight hundred and seven sixty is if you are the seller and my mom is the buyer. You are equally needed to get that forty, and so that's why we need to split it twenty twenty. So okay. he says, Okay, yeah, I guess I, I see that now. Uh I'm prepared to split it twenty twenty, and what's the market price? Well, it turns out there were five houses that were sold in the last six months on this street. It's a development. And so you look at the price per square foot of all of those sales on interior space, exterior space. You make some adjustments. They follow, we, we follow that formula. And then he gets more religion. And he says, you know, why are we each hiring separate lawyers for closing? Why don't we just hire one lawyer and save $3,000? And we can split that too. And so that now we're on the same page. It's like, what are the opportunities to create more value so that we okay. can split the pie? So the general principle in this one is that we agree on, we agree that we're going to agree on a fair market price or a fair price. Exactly. Okay. And we'll get data to confirm that. So it's not Absolutely. my judgment, your judgment. So we got mm-hmm. some, some validity there. And that I gain by buying and you gain by selling. Mm-hmm. And we put a dollar value on the gain for each of us. For, uh, for the com- combination of the two of us doing this transaction. Right, right. So each of us separately add them together. We see what the difference is. We split that difference and we have our market pri- our negotiated deal. Yeah. So I've turned a negotiation into a data exercise. Okay. And that's actually one of the things I want to do in life uh, because that's not nearly as contentious. People accuse me sometimes of being like Mr. Spock. Uh, that's not Dr. Spock, it's uh, Star Trek's Mr. Spock, uh, being all about logic. Okay. And I'd say that if we can add some logic to a negotiation, we can turn down the temperature and uh, have a principled approach. Okay. So this is, in fact, the same tool that I used in selling Honest Tea to Coca-Cola. Okay, uh, so tell us about that. We, uh, we had a problem that we were too small at the time. We had about $23 million in sales. And Coke is great at taking companies from $100 million to a billion, but they can also take companies from $50 million down to zero. And so we both agreed that it would make more sense for them to buy us in three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during those three years, they would help us with purchasing, with marketing, with distribution. But they also had a problem, which is they said, you know, look, we don't want to do all these things to help you and then end up paying more money. 
that's, you know, that, that's wrong. Well, like, we're happy to help you, but we don't want to be penalized for our help. Mm-hmm. And my response was, uh, well, you shouldn't pay full price on what you've done to help us. But the fact is, you need us to be the vehicle to help. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we should split the gains that are possible through your help. So, in other words, if we can get to X without your help, you should pay full price on sales up to X. And to the extent we beat X, then you should pay half price. We should mm-hmm. split the gains on sales above X. Okay. Well, we agreed to that framework in the first hour. Okay. And now the question is, what is X? What is it that we could achieve without their help? And what is full price? Mm-hmm. Well, full price, you look at the other sales that have been done, whether it be Sobe or Snapple or Fuse or Vitamin Water. And so who is the best uh, comparable, if you'd like? Uh, and that's something they had great data on. Mm-hmm. And then what's X? Well, it's how fast are we growing? What are the new markets? What are the products we're coming out? In the end, we'll never know. But that's what our negotiation ended up focusing on. Okay. So our goal in doing this deal is to create sales above X. Mm-hmm. If we can't do that, there's no reason for the two of us to come together. Right. And uh, yes, we can't get above X without you, but you need us to be the vehicle to help. And mm-hmm. so that's why we're going to share those gains. Okay. And it, it okay. became a much more positive, cooperative negotiation and then a partnership. Okay. I like it. I mean, I, I, the principle of it appeals to me incredibly. A, because it's less emotional. It's less good guy, bad guy kind of mentality. Um, there's a lot of honesty about what each of us know and what each of us need. And I happen to believe that the greater honesty we get on the table, the better outcomes we get at the end of the day. And you, I like the idea that you agree what the principles are for how we're going to negotiate before you actually get into the emotion of what the price is going to be. Yeah. I mean, look, if the other side says, no, you know, forget that. I want to do bluffing and lie to you and start off with high numbers. Okay. Now I know who I'm talking to. And yeah, I'm going to have to play it the old style. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I want to make, make sure that we're on the same page before I open up. Uh, and then if the other person says they're going to open up and play the way I'm proposing, but don't, then I get to hold them to that. Mm-hmm. People think of negotiation often as zero sum. And you could even think about this, the case with my mom, like the more she pays, the less she gets and the more the seller gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what they forget is that if they don't reach a deal, both sides get zero. Mm-hmm. That 40000 disappears. And so therefore, all negotiations are really positive sum because the whole pie could be lost if you don't do a deal. And one thing that's true about monkeys and it's true about people is that we reject deals that we see as unfair. Mm-hmm. And people will say all the time, I'm going to give you a fair deal, take it. But they pick something that's fair that's really arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And as a result... The other side doesn't see it as fair, and that gets us into emotions, into rejections, and all sorts of problems. And resentment, and refuse to collaborate going forward, and ultimately destroying the value of part of what it is that you made the exchange about. Either no deal, or just, I don't share the information necessary to help make us create a better, a larger pie. All right. So in your negotiation with Coke, how long did it take to get them to agree to this deal, to understand the principles of this deal? Uh, it Literally, we agreed on that framework in the first hour of our conversation. 
Now, it took a week of data exercise to figure out what X was and what the market price is. But essentially, like I said, that's a very different form of negotiation. It's not, what do I think your company's worth? I'm trying to highball you, lowball you, uh, beat you up in some way. It's any argument I make is backed up by data. Okay. And then, you know, was there any pushback? You know, you've made X plus in terms of sales and that's the difference that you're splitting. Did there, was there any reneging or backing down or challenge? No, I mean, in the end, our deal wasn't, uh, had missed one key thing, which was there was a recession. <laughs> and so uh, that recession kind of cost us a year. And so we might have said, look, in the event there's a recession, we should adjust what X is. Yeah. Uh, and we forgot to do that. So, Sometimes these contracts are not uh, as complete as they should be, mm -hmm. uh, but neither side reneged. The deal happened. Uh, the uh, What's uh, happened more recently, uh, after having the business for a, a dozen years, Coca-Cola decided to close Honest Tea, uh, the tea part. They're keeping Honest Kids. And Seth and I got the, my partner Seth in Honest Tea, got the band back together and that led us to uh, start Just Ice Tea or Justice Tea. Uh, and that's the, uh, the new business that you introduced the readers to. Justice, Justice Tea. I love that one. Fantastic. Okay. So um, I get the principle of this. I get the notion that we're looking at the larger the size of the pie and how do we increase the value of the pie that <laughs> the two of us are going to split. I get that we're going to um, negotiate what the deals are, what the terms are, the way we're going to decide. And then mm -hmm. we do an exercise, a number of exercise to say, what's the above point that we're splitting, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I get how that goes. Okay. I understand that principle. Okay. But this but, is such, But you're not a believer yet. No, I'm a believer. Okay. I, am a, I am a skeptic at how quickly human beings change. Yeah. So, so how saying, long... Yeah. So you're saying what happens... Uh, if I'm negotiating with somebody who isn't a believer. Uh, and let me share another example with you, if I may. Yes, please. Uh, I have this friend uh, who thought he was super smart that he would go and not hire a lawyer to do a trademark. Mm -hmm. And uh, he saved himself money, did it himself, 270 bucks uh, on USPTO.gov, but forgot that trademark filings are public as soon as you make them. Mm -hmm. And when he went to buy the domain name, uh, discovered there was this troll who I'll call Edward Kahn, because that's the guy's name, had gone and bought the domain name as soon as the trademark filings uh, were, right. were published. And Edward writes to him and says, I'll sell you the domain name for $2,500. Mm -hmm. Now, my friend is dumb, but he's not stupid. Uh, and so he went and discovered that what Edward has done is called registration in bad faith. Mm -hmm. And ICANN, the domain register, has a dispute process uh, that my friend would be sure to win. Uh, the only problem is it costs $1,300. Mm -hmm. And so he writes back Edward and says, look, you know, I'd rather pay ICANN $1,300 than you $2,500, in which case, by the way, you'll get zero. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to taking $500? Mm -hmm. And Edward writes back and say, uh, says, uh, look, uh, I'll give you $1,100. Uh, I'll come down from $2,500 to $1,100. Uh, you should take that offer. I'm leaving vacation. Say yes right now. So his first number, 2,500, we call anchoring. He was trying to soften up my friend with a, a highball number. Wow. Now he's doing this next tool you might call uh, time pressure. At this point, my friend brings out the pie. Mm -hmm. 
why are the two parties having a negotiation? Now, my friend might value this domain name at $40,000. But actually, his value of the domain name doesn't matter because if he does a deal with Edward, he'll get the domain name. If he doesn't do a deal with Edward, ICANN will give him the domain name. So either way, he's getting the domain name. The only question is whether or not they have to pay ICANN $1,300 or not. And uh, in order to save that $1,300, my friend needs Edward, but Edward also needs my friend because unless mm-hmm. they reach an agreement, that $1,300 goes away. Mm-hmm. So he explains to Edward, look, I'm prepared. This, this $1,100 you're proposing isn't fair because you'd be up $1,100. I'd only be up $200. It'd be like me offering you $200 so that I'd be up $11 and you'd be up $2. I wouldn't expect you to say yes to that. I don't expect you uh, so for the same reason you wouldn't say yes to 200, you shouldn't expect me to say yes to 1100. Uh, let's do 650, 650. So Edward comes back and says 900, and that's the lowest I'll go. I'll never go below that. Right. So now he's doing two things. He basically tries to split the difference. Halfway between 1100 and 650 is 875, but he rounds. So he does a split the difference with an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. At this point, my friend doesn't respond. And a week later, Edward writes back and says, okay, 650. And Edward, we know, doesn't care about fairness. We know he doesn't care about the pie. So why does he go along with this? And the answer is that he understands that my friend does care about fairness. And so if he wants to do a deal, he has to do a fair deal. Edward has been doing arbitrary stuff, throwing numbers on the wall like spaghetti sees if it sticks. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense when he says, this is my last number, you're going to believe him because he's gone from 25 to 11 to 9. My friend has a principled argument, and principle beats arbitrary. So he wins. Your friend wins. Actually, I'd say they both won. That Basically, yeah. they did a fair deal and saved $1,300. And that people will propose things that are unfair, the 1100 200 there's no reason to accept that. Right. And... That essentially, when you have these unfair uh, offers, you end up with nothing, zero, zero outcome, and that 1,300 disappears. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, What my friend did, and by the way, at this point, you can guess my friend was me, uh, (laughs) is uh, he did something people say you never, ever do in negotiation. He gave away his fallback number, his alternative, his 1,300. Right. And, and people worry, oh, if I tell them that my alternative is $1,300, I'll pay $1,299. Well, no, because I'm not willing to do a deal where I'm up a buck and you're up $1,299. I'll tell you my number, but we're going to split that pie. I don't take unfair deals. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it doesn't put me in such a risky position to reveal my information because essentially I'm not going to let you get all of the pie. A lot of people say, well, okay, what about just going from 650 to 700? Why not just make a little move? And my answer there is once you move away from 650, you've shown you don't believe in your principle. You can't have kind of three quarters of a principle. And so if my (laughs) real view is we're going to split the pie, then if I go to 700, why don't I go to 800? Uh, I'm now playing Edward's game. So it's sticking to the principle, meaning the principle, and not doing the deal without the principle. Absolutely. And explaining the principle and saying, look, if I miss something, if I haven't calculated the pie correctly, help me understand that. Uh, and 
help me understand you know, why it is we should split the pie anything but 50-50. I don't think there's a reason for it. But if you can tell me a reason, okay, so you know, Coca-Cola could say, well, Barry, I don't think you understand. Uh, for honest tea, this is a lot of money. Whereas for Coca-Cola, it doesn't really matter. And my response is, well, if it doesn't really matter, then you can give us more money. <laughs> so once you're in pie land, any argument that can, is made can be turned around. Okay. And again, that's why people have equal power. That's why they're symmetric. And that's why I think we should always be splitting at 50-50. But the confusion that people make is they don't really know what it is they're negotiating over. Okay. They don't think about what the pie is, in other they, words. Yeah. So I'll... I'll give you uh, one more very simple example, I hope. Uh, Alice and Bob are negotiating over a 12-slice pizza. Mm -hmm. And if they can reach a deal, they have 12 slices to split up. But if they don't reach a deal, Alice gets four slices and Bob gets two. So people say, well, we should just split that 12 slices six and six, like just total even division. Or they say Alice is twice as strong as Bob. So we should split up the 12, 8, and 4. Mm -hmm. And they lead to a proportional division or an equal division. And both of those arguments, I think, are wrong because they fail to understand what the negotiation is truly about. It's not about the 12 slices. Alice and Bob have six slices with no deal. The reason they're having this negotiation is to get the extra six slices, to go from 4 plus 2, which is 6, all the way up to 12. And to get those extra six slices... Alice and Bob are both essential to the deal, equally essential, and you split those six, three and three. And if you can help people understand what they're really negotiating over, it gets rid of so much of the clutter and allows people to see they're truly in symmetric, equally powerful positions, so you can split the pie. Okay. So I need to start with knowing what I have without you. Exactly. What you have have without without me. me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What we both have to gain or to negotiate over or to split that's in the middle. What is it that we can create by coming together? Right. And then let's. And if if we can agree to split that, then we can spend all of our energies on how do we make that number as big as possible? Mm -hmm. As my mom did in terms of can we end up using the same same lawyer? Right. Or any number of other, whatever else it is that gets involved in this one along the way. Okay. All right, Barry. I I love the idea. Um, And I'm beginning to see how you persuade people who are originally skeptics to at least enter the discussion and to see the possibility. But it takes some clever work on your own part first to understand what it is that I already have without you and vice versa. What do you have without me? Mm-hmm. And then to decide how we're negotiating over the rest that's sitting there, the pie that we mm-hmm. now can split. And how we enlarge that pie also, mm-hmm. as in the case with the deal with Honesty and Coca-Cola. Okay. All right. Um, this is a perfect place to take a break. And when we come back... I want to turn this into how does this work in, let's take my least favorite topic, a salary negotiation. So perfect occasion. My guest today is Barry Nailbuff. Barry is a professor at the Yale School of Management, teaching strategy and negotiation. The book we're talking about is Split the Pie, a radical new way to negotiate. And as you just heard, Barry's mission is to forever change the way we think about negotiation. We'll be right back.
This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Barry Nailbuff, and the the book we're talking about is Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. Now, this is take everything you ever learned from books like Getting to Yes and largely chuck it out the door. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not quite? Not not at all, by the way. Let's be clear. I love Getting to Yes. I teach Getting to Yes. So Getting to Yes says that you should focus on interests, not positions. And that's absolutely correct. It's uh, doing problem solving. I'm totally there. They are wonderful at a way of how do you grow the pie? Okay. What Gain TS doesn't do is tell you how to split it. Okay. And if what you do is work together to grow the pie, but you haven't agreed on how you can split it up, then you have to watch your back the entire time. And that, to me, is the problem. They don't really – so the worst thing to do is to start talking about price. Uh, Gain TS says don't talk about positions. Start with talking about interests. I'm there. I think that's terrific. But even before you get to that – can we talk about how it is we're going to negotiate and how it is that we can split things up? And they give us the advice, use objective criteria. But there are no objective criteria to figure out how to split up the pie. In that case with my mom on the $40,000 real estate agent commission savings, what's the, object- the, it, the objective criteria is what's the market price of the house. Right. But until you understand symmetry and power in terms of the pie – you don't actually know how to split up the value that you're creating. And so uh, most of negotiation books are all about 
How do we work together and find win-win solutions? Right. But they leave out the aspect of the hard part, the contentious part, which is how we divide that up. Right. Right. So your point is that we start with understanding uh, um, how we're going to agree mm-hmm. to negotiate, what we're negotiating about, the six slices of pie, for example, that we just talked exactly. about, right? And that we agree that what we're going to do is to split the pie that we've grown, that this, this piece. All right. Now the question becomes, how do we grow that pie? Mm-hmm. And what's the data that backs up what is the amount that we've grown or the point at which we're going to start splitting. So there's a there's a bit of negotiation. Um, what I think is interesting about your approach as opposed to getting to yes is getting to yes always says think win-win. I think that's true. You want to think win-win. And mm-hmm. yours is an agreement with that one. But what you do that they don't do is tell me how to address the case where somebody else is not willing to think win-win. Well, even if they are, it's how much I win versus you win. Or, yeah. uh, and uh, I don't want to having created this quote win win outcome now have to discuss the relative sizes of the win. Yeah. And people are also confused about what their power is in this negotiation. Mm-hmm. They might say, well, look, we should divide things up proportionately uh, in terms of what it is that we've created, in spite of the fact that both of us were needed to make that happen. And so, until we've really figured out, how we're going to divide up that win-win solution. We aren't really on a win-win path. Right, right. Okay, so I'll revise my statement. It's not 100% throw out everything you know from getting to yes. It's throw out a tiny bit of what you know from Actually, getting to yes. keep everything you know from getting to yes and add another step. Okay, we can, we can agree or not agree on that one. That's okay. All right. But the notion is that I'm thinking about why I need you, why you need me, Mm-hmm. What's the size of the gain that both of us get by making the deal and then agreeing to how to split that gain? 50 and, and then working to make that, that pie as big as, big as possible. As possible. Right. Yeah. So, so that our, we both make this successful. So our focus in the end is on joint problem solving. It doesn't feel like a negotiation. It feels like we're on the same team at that point. Right. Okay. Now, this is the part that is hard to understand how to grow the pie. So I saw it in your mom's example with uh, buying the house Mm -hmm. that they start to save money on the lawyer's fees. Let's jointly Mm -hmm. do this together. We're going to save some money there and split the difference. What are other ways in which we grow the pie together? You grew it in honesty by expanding the sales in a dramatic way. Okay. And, And we had the incentive to work together. Coke was initially saying, I don't want to work to help you because I'm going to have to pay more. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, actually, yeah, you're going to get half the gains that you create by working with us. So you have the incentive to really make things happen, as do we. As do we. Okay. So get the incentives right so that people then want to go and make the pie as big as possible because they don't have to fight about it anymore. That contentious part is already, already there. taken place. Okay. All right. So let's go back to our old style of negotiating for a moment. What are the consequences of starting high? For example, something that people often think they need to do, give a real highball price, knowing that you're going to come down. True, whether it's a budget or a salary or a whole bunch of buying negotiations. Yeah. So if you go and you say to the potential employer, uh, I need $125,000 salary. And the market wage for your job is 90000 
you've just said to the employer, you know, you're clueless about who you are, what this job is, you haven't done your work, whatever it is. And so one of your first impressions you're going to make is a terrible impression. Okay. Uh, and then if we go back to Edward, uh, look what happened to him. He starts off at 2,500, then has to move to 1,100 and then to 900. Basically, now you don't really have any, he has no credibility. And so one of the problems with starting with a crazy number is you're forced to make very large moves. And once you start making large moves, people expect you to make more large moves. And then the other thing is that people get mad at you. So if uh, the value of your business or your house is a million dollars and somebody offers you 300000 for it, it's like, well, what? You just try to take advantage of me? You think I'm an idiot? And then you say to them, look, I have another offer for 700000 They say, okay, seven fifty. dollars You say, wait a second. You tried to buy this for 300000 and now you jump up to seven fifty. dollars You know, I don't like you. That basically, what does that say about you as a person? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that you should always make an offer that you can defend. Mm-hmm. And a defense is not, I read somewhere in a book that I should make an extreme offer to soften up the other side. That's not a, a good argument. Okay. Uh, okay. So when I went to, to buy a house, I looked around at all of the uh, price per square foot that you see on Street Easy. And I picked a price per square foot that was at the low end of the range. Mm-hmm. But it was in the range. And so I could mm-hmm. say, look, here's the range of price per square foot. I, this is the number I picked. Uh, and I multiplied it by the square foot. So I could explain how I came up with that number mm-hmm. as opposed to picking something uh, that was arbitrary to, uh, right. quote, soften you up. I didn't uh, make the person upset uh, right. with, who I, with who I am. Okay. So, at, well, and part of the negotiation is staying in communication with each other with honesty, with this willingness to problem solve, if you will, around how we both gain in this process. Sure. So let's think about examples like what are some of the gains uh, that can take place? Like, well, do you care when we close? Uh, okay. In particular, when I bought the house that I'm currently living in, we bought it almost two years before we moved in. Mm-hmm. It was by an, living, the person living there was an elderly gentleman who at some point was going to have to move to a uh, retirement facility when he couldn't really live on his own. His kids wanted to basically be able to stay in the house as long as he could, and our view was fine. You know, we're prepared to move when he is ready. And this way, you don't have to worry about how long the house is going to be on the market. It'll never be empty. You don't have to worry about the finances. Uh, and so we can give you that peace of mind. Okay. That was what was important to them. Do you care about the furniture? Do you care about, oh, there's this tree that you planted that you think is absolutely beautiful uh, and you would like us uh, to preserve? Uh, tell us what matters to you besides money. At some point, I know we're going to have to discuss money. I got that. But is there anything else that you care about? Do you care about certainty of the deal, a mortgage contingency versus not having a mortgage contingency? Okay. And so- uh, let us understand that so that we can try and find ways to help you in that regard. Oh, you know, you're selling this house, but you haven't bought a new house yet. Great. Well, you know, how how flexible can we be in terms of the timing here? Okay. 
So also, then we're back to what is it we're negotiating about? Uh, how can we create this large pie right. so that then we can then split it? Right, right. Uh, there's a uh, case that uh, I talk about in the book where somebody's selling a gas station uh, in order to take a sailboat trip around the world mm-hmm. uh, for two years. And the seller is kind of an idiot in that he bases the price of the sales uh, of the gas station on the cost of his trip. Mm-hmm. And of course, the gas station value is equal to the gas station value. It's not at all connected to the cost of a sailboat trip. Right. Okay. Uh, and that cost ends up being higher than the value of the station. So it looks like we have a problem here. Mm-hmm. Now, some buyers in this negotiation, they just get mad at the seller for making arbitrary demands. Mm-hmm. Instead, the question is, what can I do to help get you on that boat? Mm-hmm. Because if you get on the boat, what do I get? The gas station, yeah. I get the station. So my goal in negotiation is to give you what you want. Mm-hmm. Not because I like you, not because I'm generous, because if you get what you want, then I can get what I want. Okay. So a lot of sellers, though, they don't want to share why they're selling the station. Like, oh, it's, you know, I'm taking a trip around the world. That's kind of embarrassing. But actually, think about it. There are good and bad reasons for selling the station. A bad reason is, well, my gas tanks actually have a leak, and it's about to become a Superfund site. <laughs> or they're closing the exit to the highway ramp, and so there aren't going to be any more cars coming by. If I'm a buyer, the fact that the seller wants to take a trip around the world is about as good news as, I, as there can be. Right. So there's no reason to hide it. So people hide information that is actually beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, what about this person who's taking a two-year trip around the world? What are some problems they're likely to have? One problem is, what are they going to do when they get back? They're not so old that they're about to retire. Mm-hmm. And I'm a company that owns lots of gas stations. Well, these are good managers. Mm-hmm. I can hire you when you come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, guess what? They had a $75,000 reserve fund uh, that they needed because they weren't sure what they were going to do when they got back. Okay. Now I've taken away the need for a lot of that reserve fund. Another problem they have is that all their money is tied up into a boat. They're going to need to convert that boat back into cash so they can get a down payment on an apartment or something like that. Well, I could give you a loan on that boat when you come back mm-hmm. so that you don't have to do a fire sale. And if you can sell that boat in six months rather than six weeks, maybe you can get an extra 50000 for the boat. Okay, so those are all ways that I can create value for you. And yes, in the end, that'll allow me to buy the gas station for less. Mm-hmm. But I've also made you better off because mm-hmm. we basically haven't had to take money, uh, throw away money through the uh, fire sale and end up with you being unemployed when you came back. Mm-hmm. So help me know what your problems are so that we can solve them together. Sounds like a much better world. I'll buy this one. All right. Go shift for me, and let's talk about salary negotiations. Well, okay, hopefully you'll buy my... lots of them and give them to all your friends. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Salary negotiations. Salary negotiation, my least favorite topic. Everybody gets so stressed about this. There's so much emotion. Nobody knows how to negotiate it. And companies, just for the record, have infinite sources of data on what the job that you're about to take is actually yeah. worth on the market. Tons of data. Yeah. So I say, look, I expect you to pay me a, a market wage. 
Uh, And you know better than I do. Okay. Uh, So uh, rather than ask me what I expect, you know, you should tell me what the range is for this position and what it would be to get to the top of the range or the bottom of the range. And let's work together to understand how my qualifications uh, fit into which part of the range. Okay. And I can tell you uh, if that range isn't going to work so we don't have to spend any more time together uh, wasting each other's time. So I understand uh, that. But uh, a lot of people do the no one less rather than the yes if. And I'm a big believer on the in the yes if approach. Uh, so yes if is if you're able to do these things that I'm asking for, then I'm prepared to say yes. Mm-hmm. Because I want somebody to go out on a limb for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the worst thing that they do is they go out on a limb and I say, oh, and I'd also like this other thing. Yeah. Or, oh, great, I'm now going to use that offer to get a better price from somebody else. And then they've used up their capital and they haven't hired me. Mm-hmm. So if they know they're going to be successful through this, uh, provide me what I've asked for, uh, then they're going to be much more willing to do so. This is, remember I said I want to give the other side what they want so I can get what I want? What do they want? They want to hire me. And so I'm going to give them that opportunity if they can give me what I want. Uh, My daughter did this very successfully with me. I wanted her to join the math team in high school. And I would say that on her list of 100 favorite activities, that wasn't on the list. (laughs) Uh, But rather than saying no, she said, Yes, if we can get a dog. Okay. And so we got this fantastic uh, Labrador, uh, uh, not a, a, pure, a, a rescue dog. Uh, I didn't negotiate as well as I might have. I could have said for three years on the math team. Uh, we got the dog for 13 years and the math okay. team for one. But still, <laughs> it, w- uh, it was fine. And so okay. basically, uh, I got what I wanted, her and the math team. And, she, uh, and yeah, by doing that, she could get what she wanted. Uh, and so we created this large pie. Uh, and, uh, so people are, I think just way too quick to say no, as opposed to yes, if. Yes, if. Okay. So I go back to the salary negotiation. All right. Let's take this not, I'm looking for a new job, but I'm Mm -hmm. trying to negotiate a higher salary within the job that I have. Mm -hmm. How would you appreciate that one? I feel like I'm not paid adequately or I want more money or whatever the case is. How do we approach that conversation? So uh, it can be, first, let's understand what the market value is for my job, what the market price is, what it would cost for you to hire somebody to replace me, mm-hmm. uh, what the consequence that would be. Also, uh, what is it that, what's the value that I'm creating? Mm-hmm. And let's figure out some ways to measure that. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, can, it can be, look, uh, here are the metrics, and can we agree now that if these metrics are met, then... I will get this bonus, I will get this raise, I will get this promotion. Uh, I'm not so keen on doing negotiations ex post rather than ex ante. Okay. I'd rather say, here's what we're going to agree on the pie that we can create, and here's how you're going to share it with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the metrics that we're going to use. Uh, if you're not prepared to do that, you know, then basically you're telling me uh, you – you don't value what I'm doing, uh, that I, you don't think that we can create a pie. Or let's talk about how, what is it that I can do to create this pie that you that will actually create the value? Because if I'm not creating value for you the way you want me to, 
then we're the way. we're it's, we're making a mistake here. Okay. Okay. And so let's talk about the positive things. Uh, how do I create value for you, and how will you reward me for doing that? Okay. So if I think about that one, as we're coming into year-end strategy, I should be saying to my manager. Mm-hmm. that I want to talk about um, a salary increase or a bonus increase, whatever, money increase. And here's the things that I think I'm producing that are of value. And here's some metrics that we could agree sure. on that shows the value that I'm producing. And if I can increase those metrics by X in the coming year, mm-hmm. um, that should be worth, I don't know, something to you. Now now we get to the data exercise, if you like. Yeah. What is it worth? But can we agree that these are the things you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And that if I'm doing these things, I'm creating pie. Uh-huh. And that I should and share, that share that. it with them. And right. now the question is, great, now how do we value how do we value those things? Okay. But we've agreed okay. up front that these are the important things you want me to be doing and that we're gonna share it, and now we have to do the data exercise of what's their action what are they actually worth? Okay. All right. And by the way, I believe most of your comp and benefit people inside large organizations would very much respond positively to that kind of debate because they say you have to come with data and evidence and proof in effect about the value you're adding and why your salary should be at one thing or another. And they have, so there's data, so we should have it. There we go. All right. Um, And we're going to factor into that if I'm so unhappy and I choose to leave that you're going to have to replace me and that's going to cost you something. So there is a gain that you have by not having to spend that extra money to replace me or lost time or lost productivity or all sorts of things. Uh, And let's also go to the person who hasn't yet joined the organization. Okay. I think there's a key question they often don't ask. Okay. Which is why have people you've hired in the past who you thought were going to be great, not worked out. Okay. Which is kind of funny because I'm asking them to talk about failure mm-hmm. as opposed to success. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason that's useful for me is because then I can help them understand why I'm going to be the successful type rather than the failure type. Okay. So they can say, look, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much effort you put in, if we're a team player organization. And so if you don't pass the ball here, you will just not succeed. Yeah. And then – Either I am the not pass the ball type person, so I shouldn't go there, or I can say, here's the evidence of why I am the team player. And that then gives the HR person more confidence that, they, that I am going to succeed, which will then allow them to be more flexible in terms of what it is they are going to offer me. Okay. Okay. Uh, I like asking, where are you least flexible rather than where are you most flexible? Okay. And then when they tell me where they're least flexible, guess what? Don't ask for that. (laughs) But by implication, everything else is more fair game. Mm Because they can't really say, where are you least flexible? Everywhere. You know, that's that's not a valid answer. (laughs) Right. And so if they tell me that they're least flexible on salary, it's great. Uh, Then let's talk about bonus. Let's talk about title. Let's talk about equity. Uh, Let's talk about work from home. Let's talk about vacation days. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, not only do I want to give you what uh, you want, I don't want to take from you stuff that you don't want to give. Yeah. Or can't give for a host yeah. of other reasons. And knowing that up front, what can you not be flexible on is really helpful. Um, but we do come back to this basic problem is I have to believe that people are telling me something that's close to the truth. Well, they can't, like I said, 
if they lie about where they're least flexible, that's a problem for them, right? Because then I'm going to ask for something else. They don't really want to lie about that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair when, enough. I mean, yeah. when I, they, they say, I'm least flexible on salary, and say, great, I'd like to have bonus. Oh, no, no, we never do bonus. Well, wait a second, you told me. Yeah, right. So, so right. Uh, I think it's just, if I ask somebody, where are you most flexible? That scares them. Mm-hmm. Because at some point they say, oh, my gosh, you know, if I tell you that, that's exactly what you're going to ask for. Mm-hmm. But I think there's much less reason to lie when somebody says, you know, what is it you really don't want to eat? I don't like Brussels sprouts. Okay, I'm not going to give you Brussels sprouts. Where are you least flexible? Good. Uh, okay. So uh, it's one way of making th- uh, helping people be honest with you. Okay. Okay. It's an interesting approach. And I think it's, I do think, based on what I know about comp, that it would actually work. Where are you least flexible as a company? And then what is it that you fail at as a company? So I know what it is I need to be offering or guaranteeing you or giving you yeah. that's going to help. Or helping you understand that I'm the right person who isn't going to be one of those failures because those are really costly. Those are costly. Uh, right. uh, we know they want to hire me because they've offered me a job. Okay. And, uh, and going to the next person is going to take time. It's going to take effort. So we know there's a pie there. <laughs> we just got to get onto what it, what it is about and how to... And so, how do I help you appreciate that it's big? How can I help you make it bigger? What is it that I can do for this organization? Okay. That's going to basically make my working there even more successful. Successful for you and for me at the end yeah. of the day. All right, Barry, we can keep telling stories forever and ever. Um, I think we're out of time. So my guest today is Barry Nailbuff. The book that we're talking about, highly recommended, fun read also, Split the Pie, a radical new way to negotiate. The principle is we start by agreeing what we are going to negotiate on and what there is that we each gain and how do we grow that pie and then how do we split that pie, the gains in the pie between us. And then from there, as Barry has said many times, it becomes a data exercise to understand what what it is that we actually gain and how do we split it. That puts us in a collaborative space and a space where we can both talk about how do we make that pie that we're going to split now as big as possible. And I think I'm pretty convinced that it gets us around a lot of traps that exist in the negotiation process. So Barry, thanks for being a guest. Really a lot of fun. Thank you for making the world's pie a little bit bigger today. Let's hope so. That would be a lovely outcome. All right. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. If you like today's podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast provider, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 